possible. Um, and on one hand, I don't think that's really a bad instinct necessarily. Um, I think there's something reasonable about self-preservation. But the challenge is you can go too far with it. Um, and I can start making decisions in my own self-interest and I can stop thinking about God's interests. Um, I can stop really listening to the Spirit and I can start listening to my flesh instead of to God. So um, I was trying to think of a good uh, illustration about trials in my own life. Um, and I've had one. I have a little story from this week. Uh, I had a little experience with the IRS. Uh, so, as part of some of you know, I just came on board full-time here about oh, seven or eight months ago. Um, and part of that, coming on board here, there's some different little things you have to do with the IRS. Um, it's a little different working for a church. Um, and so there's this one form, this sort of exemption form that I have to pass all this information about what I do and who I am to the IRS, right? And it's really, it's a little bit disturbing, right? Because Part of the thing, you're submitting it to that whole wing of the IRS that, you know, you may have heard there was that scandal they were like targeting people who were political opponents. I don't remember that. And you're submitting to that group and you're like, am I going to get a good response? And sure enough, I gave them everything they wanted and then I got a letter back that said, you've been declined. I was like, oh, that's no good. And they said, here's a phone number to call in this lady's name. And so I called this number, didn't answer. Called at different times, didn't answer. Left messages, didn't return messages. Uh, figured out who her supervisor was. Called their supervisor, didn't answer. Left messages. Uh, he left some other numbers. I called those numbers. No one answered those numbers. They all pointed back to him. <laughs> I kept calling him. Um, and this has been going on for a few months now. And I'm going, uh, you know, i got to file my taxes. I don't have this last piece. I'm going to end up owing more. It's going to be a big problem. Uh, what am I going to do? Um, so I was going to call Monday, and then I realized Monday is like, was a holiday for federal workers. Right? <laughs> Not for everybody else, but for those people it was. So I didn't call on Monday, and I just, Tuesday morning, I was in the shower. And a lot of times I could get up early, and I'm in the shower, I'm talking to God. And I was really just kind of complaining to God on Tuesday morning, saying, what... God, what is the deal? How am I going to ever get breakthrough on this? They're never going to answer the phone. They must just have sham phone numbers set up where just, your voicemail goes off into space and no one ever hears it. Um, so I got out of the shower and I got downstairs and I was going to do my quiet time and I just I heard the still small voice that said, call right now. And I was like, right now? It's not even 7 o'clock here. I mean, I guess that's you know later on the East Coast, but really? Right now? Call right now. I said, I don't even have my shoes on. <laughs> Call right now. Okay, God. So I pulled out my phone and I dialed and the guy answered. It was amazing. And he said, I said, this is who I am. I left a message and this is the situation. And he said, oh. And in about five minutes we worked it out. And he said, you're approved. You'll get your approval letter by Monday. And I was like, praise God. <laughs> So we really praise God when things work out in our trials. Amen? Yeah. yeah. So thinking about trials, and a natural question that kind of comes to my mind when I think about this is, how do I keep my head on straight and make good decisions? You know, I don't really expect a prompting from the Spirit to make the right phone call at the right time to the right person. I don't, I don't expect that is going to happen every time I need to avert disaster. Um, so how do I set myself up to be in tune, or as in tune with the Spirit as possible? How do I prepare myself so that when the trials do come, and they most certainly will come, 
How am I going to be best equipped to weather the storm as it rages? Well, we find a good answer for this in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians. I'm so thankful for the inerrant Word of God. You know, it speaks truth and holds the words of life and answers to our tough questions. Amen? Yeah, so before we read the passage together here, I'm going to pray. Father, we just want to hear from you this morning. Um, we trust you have good for us. Um, God, I trust that in our lives there's ways we can grow and change from what you would speak to us today, God. So I pray you would uh, take distractions out of the way. God, help me not to be a distraction from what you want to teach this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. First Thessalonians chapter 3, it's only 13 verses, but I'll go ahead and read it. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you, and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for, for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all His holy ones. That's the passage. So again, let's ask and answer the question, how can I best be prepared to endure the hardships of life? Well, let's focus on verse 7. Um, it says this, Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. See, Paul shows us the timeless truth that being united or being together makes trials bearable. See, Paul and his companions in Athens, they were going through these intense trials of persecution in Athens. But they were encouraged to stand firm because the believers at Thessalonica were supporting them in unity. And in the same way, the guys in Thessalonica, they were undergoing persecution and trials. And they were encouraged because Paul and the believers in Athens were standing with them. They weren't sharing the same trials, but they were sharing in those trials together. And I think this example here from Paul's relationship with Thessalonians, it's really an application of what he wrote to another early church. In chapter 6 of his letter to the Galatians, Paul says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So how do we fulfill Christ's command? By carrying each other's burdens. By being together in each other's trials. 
All right, you might say, sounds good. All I need is to find some other people and we can share each other's trials. So maybe I'll just head home and hang out with my spouse or my kids or my roommates and we can just be united together and fulfill the law of Christ. Right? Sound good? Not quite. Because see, both the command in Galatians and this application in Thessalonians is just context-specific, right? He's not just saying in general. He's not, is Paul talking to a family unit? No. Is he talking to some random believers who happen to live in the same town? No. Uh, is he talking to some roommates? Well, they, some of them might have been roommates, but that's not who he was talking to. In both these cases, in Galatians and Thessalonians, he's talking to the church, an organized group of Christians united in purpose. See, the place Jesus intended us to be together is the local church. We've said this before on many occasions, but I think it's worth repeating often. You know, Jesus could have established any system of organization for Christian fellowship, but he chose to establish the local church. And Paul emphasized this establishment in his writings. They're quite clear that the central location for obeying all of Jesus' one another commands, you know, love one another, serve one another, carry one another's burdens, the central place for doing that is the local church. And so what happens when we don't follow Jesus' intentions? What happens when we aren't together in the local church? Well, what I've seen is that things tend to fall apart in our lives when we aren't together. You know, having been around the church for a few decades, I've really had the opportunity to get to know a lot of different people in a lot of different places, and I've kind of made it a point uh, to observe people's lives and observe their choices, not in a judgmental way, but in an observational way, really trying to learn what I can from how people make their choices so that when I face those choices myself, I can be better served. <clears throat> and through this, I've watched many good friends go through some really intense struggles and some big hardships in life, financial, marriage challenges, social challenges, family challenges, health challenges, challenges with death, and so on. And I've seen these trials happen to my friends um, in a couple camps. One camp are those who've exerted the effort and made a choice to be plugged in and united with their local church. <clears throat> and I've seen trials happen to those friends who, for a variety of reasons, have chosen not to stay committed to their local church. You know, maybe not always a one-for-one -one exact trials, but I think of the same sort of magnitude of trials. And you know what? The people who stay connected <clears throat> are the ones who I see thriving and growing in their faith and staying encouraged and on mission and in obedience to God. And the ones who I see who've really chosen not to be connected, they're the ones who I see struggling to keep their chins up and, and keep fighting um, and keep being encouraged. It's, it's clear that Jesus intended us to be part of the local church. <clears throat> the New Testament totally reinforces this. And so it kind of makes sense that good would come from obeying that command. And so for those of you who are new at the firehouse, let me tell you, there's no shortage of trials in the lives of the folks who are sitting all around you right now. Um, if you ever really thought that, you know, quote-unquote church people have their lives together and that things are just smooth sailing for them, for us, um, I need to let you in on a little secret. We have hardships that can match any of the hardships of people outside these doors. Um, 
you know, I, I think about people in our church, and in, in the past year alone, um, I can think of a number of trials happening to a number of you, a number of people here. Um, there's been death of parents. There's been the loss of unborn children. There's been depression. There's been people battling chronic and debilitating diseases. I've seen people lose jobs. I've seen grown children make rebellious decisions. I've seen people undergoing intense financial hardship, and so on, and so on, and so on. So if you're sitting there thinking, man, is, is church really a place where people would understand my trials? The answer is yes, of course, because we're all in it together. So what's it look like when we come together in a church and carry each other's burdens? You know, what, what does that look like? It sounds good to come to the table and share, but what does that mean? How do we suffer together? Well, it, as Ned said a minute ago in the announcements at the firehouse, one of our main points of connection is small groups. And so this is my chance to brag on my small group. Um, it's, I, I'm just super encouraged. It just lines up so well. I, over the past years we've been meeting together, um, we've really had an opportunity to share in a number of trials. Um, we've experienced a lot of things collectively. Some of those things I mentioned before, like uh, dealing with chronic disease and all sort of the uncertainties that result from that. We've had folks who've lost jobs and changed careers. Uh, we've had families moving. People have been having babies and adding to their family. Uh, we've had parents wrestling with their parents, with their parenting, and wrestling with their relationships with their kids. We've had folks who've lost their parents. And then we've prayed together as a group for our friends and our families, people in that who, who don't know the Lord. And, and, and now as we've gone through that as a group, I, you know, I can't speak for all of you who are in my group, but for me, I've been just incredibly blessed to be part of that. It's just such a blessing to share life with you guys um, and to be able to lean on you guys when I've needed it. And hopefully I've been there to let you lean on me when you need it. And it's been this awesome time and I've grown immensely and I really have watched um, the rest of you guys in my small group grow together. It's just been a total blessing. Um, so if you're not in a small group, you can come join mine because it's awesome. So... As I think about that experience in small group, I've I just been racking my brain going, what, what would be an alternative? Uh, what would be an alternative way, some other option for gaining this kind of spiritual growth without being connected? And I've concluded there's no way to replicate this experience without really being plugged into the church. And yet, even though there's a tremendous benefit and blessing to being together in our trials and hardships, and even though this is, you know, to do that is to be obedient to God, I think that in some way, this sharing trials is really just a practice run. I think part of why Jesus wants us to share our trials together is that He's preparing us for something bigger. And I think the Apostle Paul gives us a clue about this in today's passage. We'll go back and look at verse 13, the last verse of the passage. It says, May He strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all His holy ones. Now, this is the NIV version I have on the screen here, and that's what's in the Bibles out there among you. Um, the New American Standard Bible says this last phrase. It says, At the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. And if I'm going to be really candid, and I probably should always be really candid with you, um, 
But being candid, after all those decades of being in church, it's become really easy for me to skip over verses like this. The verses that talk about the return of Christ. You know, it's just super easy for me to go, you know what? Jesus hasn't come back yet. Things seem like they're getting worse. But really, what are the chances he's going to come back tomorrow? But then I need to be reminded what Jesus himself said about his return. Yeah, Jesus gives us a window into the events that are going to precede his return. And we find those recorded in Matthew chapter 24. Um, to give you some background on this passage in Matthew 24, Jesus and the disciples are just leaving the temple area in Jerusalem. And the disciples are just marveling, almost worshiping the beauty of the temple architecture. And knowing that they're focusing their attention on the wrong things, Jesus drops a discourse on them about the events that will lead up to his return. It's effective as they stopped sort of worshiping the architecture and started listening to what Jesus had to say. Those words eventually made it into the New Testament. Um, I think it's a great reminder to us that when we start focusing on and worshiping the great stuff here on earth, we probably need to remember that the return of Christ is coming and that everything is going to change. So what did Jesus say about his return? I'm going to read it here. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I'd like to suggest maybe that you all would close your eyes and listen to the words and maybe picture what the challenge will be like. So here we go. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. That time many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of his house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible, even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. 
Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Okay, so now you can open your eyes. That's the passage. Sounds like some scary bad stuff, am I right? In fact, I find this in some ways to be even more distressing to me than when I read the book of Revelation because these words are coming straight out of Jesus' mouth. I don't know about you, but my sort of avoid trials instinct kicks in and I'm starting to look for the exit. Like, how do I get out of this? So if you're like me, maybe you're already formulating some arguments in your mind, some things like, wait, isn't there the possibility there's going to be a rapture and we as believers aren't going to experience this? You might be saying, wait, I might die before these things transpire, oh pretty please, right? And both of those things, a rapture or death, are certainly possibilities. But let's go back to the text. Did Jesus preface or qualify this discourse on his own return by saying, but this won't happen to believers? Did the disciples who heard it, did they walk away and think, hmm, sounds scary, but it won't be us because his return won't be for at least a couple millennia. Did any of them think, well, that sounds terrible, but I'll be raptured and miss it all, so I'm not going to bother being concerned about it? No. It's pretty clear from the text Jesus intended his listeners to take these warnings personally and that they should modify their behavior and their choices in their lives to be prepared for his return. And when I consider this passage, I think what sticks out to me the most is this. Jesus knew while he was speaking to those disciples that they would not experience those things in their lifetime. See, because God is all-knowing, Jesus knew there would be at least 2,000 years, I don't know, maybe 4,000 years, we don't know, before these events would take place. And yet, he told them anyways, in a way that was clearly intended to cause a change in behavior and attitude. And so, I would suggest that his intention for us today is identical to his intention for the disciples. I think he wants us to modify our way of life and be ready for the trials that will precede his return, even if we don't experience him in our lifetime. So you're kind of like, okay, Greg, what's the tie-in here? This is kind of downer stuff here. Well, here's the tie-in. I don't know about you, but horrible stuff like famines and earthquakes and persecution and execution and hatred from all nations and fleeing to the hills and false prophets, it all sounds like the kind of stuff I don't want to face alone. I don't know about you, but if these things happen, I want to have a network of believers to rely on to get through it. And if these things start happening suddenly, I kind of think it's going to be too late to try to plug into one of those networks. And so my point in talking about this is not to cause you to be fearful or perplexed, but this. We need to be united in sharing our routine trials, if our hardships could really be called routine, these trials of our lives today, if we want to be ready to overcome the major trials that could be coming in our lives. I think that's part of Paul's message here. I think God's intention is that we would use hardships and trials in our lives as a sort of a practice run to be prepared for more difficult things that are coming. And even if they don't come in our lifetimes, God commands us to be ready for them. So we need to trust there's a good purpose in being ready and obeying Him. 
So that's kind of heavy, I know. But my hope is that I'm giving each of you, wherever you're at, something to think about. And I hope that today you walk out the door as someone who's motivated to get plugged into the local church. And of course, I'd love for you to do that with us here at the firehouse. We've heard Rich talking recently, I think it's been inspired by the Spirit, about uh, kind of taking an evaluation about where you find yourself as it relates um, to God's people. The whole spectrum from, are you part of the crowd, are you part of the congregation, are you part of the committed, are you part of the core? And so maybe today, it's time for you to really size up the trials in your life, the trials you know we all face, the trials that might be coming, and then make a choice to elevate your level of connection to God's people. So I'm going to close in prayer here. And so as everybody bows their heads and closes their eyes, um, just take a moment as we approach God to think about life and think about where you're at in terms of being committed to God's people. Yeah, Father, you, uh, <clears throat> you, you bless us and you lead us by your Spirit and we thank you for your protection. God, we know you didn't promise that our lives would be trial-free. Um, God, as a church, we're evidence. Um, we're evidence that trials happen to all people. Um, and God, we trust that there's an opportunity to grow there. And there's an opportunity here, Lord, in this church, in this place, um, to connect with other believers, to share our trials. And God, so as I think about everybody who's here and everybody's in a different place, and uh, Lord, I'm just thankful for each person who's here, wherever they're at, God. I, I pray you'd help us in our hearts um, to evaluate where we're at in terms of relating to other people and, and how we're connected and how we're committed um, to the church as you commanded. Um, God, it would be my sincerest hope that each person, each couple, each family who's here today would make a decision to say, no, I'm going to get committed out of obedience to you. Um, God, we trust you'd have great things um, that would take place here, great growth and spiritual maturity and unity and fellowship would make our light shine brighter in this neighborhood if we do that, God. So I ask that you would do that in each person's heart today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for being with us today. If you're new with us, again, I would encourage you, as Ned is talking about, please do fill out that Connect card. We would love to be able to pray for you or serve you. If you filled out the first half, maybe fill out the second half, you can drop it at the kiosk. Um, you'll be hearing from us some follow-up information this week about our church. Um, again, I'm glad you joined us today, and have a great week. Thank you.